We are at uh, 7 minutes after 8 o'clock here on AM 550, FM 99.9, WSAU online worldwide at WSAU.com as well. I'm WSAU News Director Mike Leishner, joined live in studio once again by the one and only Merle Kelsch. Merle, uh, good morning. And, well, uh, I, you know, I hate to do it, but again, we have to start the show off with a little bit of group therapy. <laughs> Okay, there was more. Bring it in. Let's have some zen. More bad news this week regarding the debt ceiling negotiations breaking off at a certain point on Friday. Uh, listened to a podcast uh, over the weekend with South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson uh, last night, actually, from before Easter. At that point, senators were saying we are at a crisis situation, and uh, that was five, six weeks ago. Things haven't improved now. Tell us why we shouldn't worry. We've been through this before. And uh, we've been through this before. Not only it, it did create some some stock market jitters and so forth in 2011, but eventually they straightened him out. Um, and then again, remember, yeah, we talked about it last week, my friend, in that um, even though we go into a debt ceiling um, and we're not able to write the bills because of borrowing, we still have money coming in. And again, I've been having a lot of fun with this throughout the course of this week. And I said, imagine this. An entity that can only spend what they make. Weird. That, that doesn't seem do, 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 that doesn't do, do, seem right at all. Yeah, weird. So, um, in here, uh, you know, I think we get it done. I mean, we already have um, uh, President Biden who's cutting his trip short to come back and sign something that may happen. Um, everybody's saying we keep going in a, you know in the the positive direction and keep moving forward, even though some people walked out and said we've had enough last night. Um, I think it gets done. I don't think anybody wants to say, well, we were the ones who held it back because it's going to be held inside of the political climate that comes up. Um, Deadlines uh, make deals, correct? What's that? Deadlines make deals, correct? Deadlines make deals. And I think at the end of it, um, we're probably not going to have much reduction in uh, the the proposed debt coming forward, which is what the Republicans want. Um, And I don't think it's going to be the unlimited ceiling going up indefinitely. That the Democrats want, so I think there's a lot of fanfare and uh, smoke and mirrors all to come down to not much happen except they sign the deal to expand it. Wait a minute. here. Wait a minute. You're, you're telling me that one side is not going to get everything that they want. You're and tell- it is the other side. You're telling me the other side isn't going to get everything that they That Again, this just doesn't seem right. Are, are it just you- sounds like a normal Washington thing. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does. And so they got to have a lot of smoke and mirrors to say that each side is the better of the two sides. And of course, uh, so with all those smoke and mirrors going off, then that uh, is certainly read by the gentlemen and ladies uh, on Wall Street at the uh, at the major indexes, and then that sends them in into a tizzy as well. And of course, mm-hmm. tied into all that is the retirement for regular Joes like myself yeah. and uh, even yourself. It all becomes, uh, you know, the whole thing, the marketplace doesn't like uncertainty that we've talked about so many times. Uncertainty of anything, it seems. doesn't matter what it is. And so if Walmart has jitters, it puts jitters into retirement accounts. Because if Walmart has jitters, we look at our monthly statements and our monthly statements are jumping around. You know, what's happening today inside of the debt service probably isn't going to have much effect on what's going on in a year or two, unless they have to go through this again. Uh, But it's not going to have much of an effect one way or another. You know, back in 2011, we saw the stock market go down. Uh, throughout the course of the summer months up until uh, October, went down some 22% throughout the course of that summer, but then, of course, then came back, as we as we know. Um, so so I would expect we're going to have some jitters, but I think I think the market's jittered out. 
um, as a result of 22, if I can use that as a an official investment term, jittered out. There we go. Uh, yeah, I'll allow it. Put that in a record book. Are you making a note in our official uh, notation? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, and okay. it's being recorded right now for yeah, podcasts. Yeah, so we saw the volatility well. of the marketplace. I mean, heck, we were going bouncing up one percent up and down a day last, uh, you know, last year in twenty two, um, and that seems to really have settled itself back out again. People are looking around saying, okay. Uh, there's not as much uh, emotional heartstrings that we're tugging on with our money back and forth. Yeah, we're going to be fine. And we're still not seeing the market going insane now, even though the debt ceiling, if you look back in 2011, there's a lot much more volatility um, going into the debt ceiling uh, uh, wrestling match that we'd had. So with it, I think the market's jittered out. Even the VIX, which is the measure of fear, uh, is average. That hasn't even crept up as well as of late. It's just that the market's just not doing anything wait a minute really one way or another there's a measure uh, there's a metric to measure fear in there is okay so you learn something new today don't hook that up to me if i'm you know we're gonna watch something like the exorcism of emily rose or it's it's, kind of like the heartbeat you know so yeah uh, the marketplace it's called the vix the vix and what's interesting is you can measure the fear that the public is having or traders are having by if you're seeing that VIX index creeping up considerably, and right now it's not. It's still hanging around that 18 to 20 range, uh, which is pretty much average at this point. 715-845-2155 is the number to call if you have a question for a Merle Kelch. Or, hey, maybe Merle's done his job here in the first uh, six minutes of the show. And everybody's educated now. Yeah, and everybody's yep. educated. And in that case, um, I'm going to talk Major League Soccer for the rest of the hour. Well, that way you can listen to Burt Bacharach songs. You know, Why so. not? Why not? <laughs> I like it. Uh, and, and one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about, again, I listened to, uh, I'll, uh, since you credit all, uh, as well, I'll credit uh, the takeout with Major Garrett last night uh, with South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson, not just because uh, Dusty, of course, represents my uh, the state of my birth, but uh, because I'm a huge ma- uh, fan of Major Garrett as well. Great podcast. It's called The Takeout. Uh, they're talking about the regional banking system. Obviously, the United States, for those of you that don't know, one of the only major countries that has a regional banking system. Every other country kind of has their larger bankings uh, banks that are used by the public. We don't follow that. Uh, the regional banking system obviously has been under fire recently because of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and, and others. Is there anything uh, to see here again? Because we keep hearing about it. Maybe these banks are going to ha- have to start merging, which would push the U.S. closer towards a banking system like England or Germany. Yeah, well, you know, this all goes back to you know our forefathers. Um, they didn't want to have a central bank that was owned by the government because you you can go back years and years ago and uh, boy I'm trying to remember who said the actual quote but they said if you give me control of the banks I'll have control of all the power so they wanted to separate it so that our government um, did not have control of all the banking power as far as being able to lend money and that kind of stuff Uh, though the Federal Reserve does a certain degree that they have the ability to control interest rates Um, but the banking power resides within the banks themselves um, and really more towards state banking institutions. Um, I think it's a smarter way in which to do so. It allows us to be free from the government. The government governs, but the government doesn't have the ability to control so much. We can certainly have argument whether or not certain factions of the government want to continue to, gain, continue to keep gaining control of our lives. Uh, but from a money and banking standpoint... Those um, conversations <laughs> happen during the week. Yeah, we'll, we'll let that happen during yes. the week. Um, uh, but, 
you know, but um, from that, I, I like the idea of having uh, separation of church and state when it comes to banking and government. Um, I think it's a, a really good move and idea in which to do so. Now, I do think we're going to end up having some changes to the banking system, um, which may be uh, beyond our discussions from here from the show, because it's only going to be weirdos like me and maybe about five other people listening that are going to understand this stuff. Right. But, you know, it used to be um, uh, that we had, uh, they called a, a scarce reserve system, for lack of a better term, whereas the Federal Reserve System did not pay an interest rate, but the banks had to have a deposit there. So if you were a bank and I was a bank, at the end of the night, our books have to balance. And that's still the rule now. So the books have to balance. Um, you can't have a debt service owed to the Federal Reserve because you didn't have enough money there for the reserves and for the loans you sent out. And so if I had too much and you had too little, you could borrow money from me what was called overnight paper. Um, and so I would lend you that money overnight for a day or for maybe two days, and you pay me the interest, that fraction of a cent back and forth, and that's how it worked. Where somewhere after the 2008 uh, financial crisis that we had had, um, what the Federal Reserve says, well, we want you to have more reserves inside of the banking system. So rather, and I'm making up a number here, folks, rather than having a 2% reserves, you now have to have a 6% reserves. And I think 6% is the actual real number. Um, and banks said, well, geez, we have to have so much money sitting inside of the Federal Reserves now, but we don't make anything out. So the Federal Reserve says, well, we'll pay a reasonable interest rate on it. Well, the interest rates that banks were getting from that were then more money than a lot of times what they were getting from collecting reserves from you and I as savers, putting money inside of the banks. And so they would just simply lend the money or get the money from the banking system instead. So the banking system then said, well, rather than having, you know, a scarce reserves, we're going to have an abundant reserves. And so on that, the Federal Reserve started, you know, using the buying of bonds back and forth and paying interest rates out to the banks so the banks didn't have to act so much like banks as much as they were just holding on as money holders and relending the money back out to people. I don't know if that system is right. And then part of that, too, is they have what's called a mark-to-market banking system, which I've never been a big fan of. By the way, for those of you that are historians, the mark-to-market banking system is one of the things that led to the Great Depression. Oops. Oops. <laughs> um, so uh, our uh, brilliant people in politics and politics decided that they were so smart they were going to try it again in 2007. Does anybody remember what happened in 2008 to the financial system? Yes. Well, look at there. We had the Great Recession. Well, they got it, took it away from that. Essentially what mark-to-market banking does in this instance is, let's say that I'm a bank and I lent money for a house that was at $100,000, and that house went down to 50000 because the market sank. That means now I, as a bank, had to report that $50,000 loss in the house value as a loss against my banking system because – um, it was worth less. Well, hold it. The people are still paying the bank note. The interest is still being paid. So why do I have to write that as a loss? And so what you're doing is you're taking a balance sheet item that's a fluctuation of value, and you're putting it on the income statement. That's in banking 101 from when the dual entry system came about 500 years ago. You don't do that. Well, right. The banking system right now is doing it with themselves. And so if a bank now has a loss of fluctuation, they have to do mark-to-market on their long-term structuring of, of, of bonds and that kind of stuff within the banking system. I'm being very oversimplistic, folks, on purpose. Right. Um, and with that being the system, it, it's causing a problem with banks because now they have a loss where they haven't sold anything for a loss. So it's now taking, again, the, again, the balance sheet item and putting it onto an income statement. And I don't think that should be accurate within the banking system either. The accounting doesn't match. Because if you have a bond that is still paying interest, though the value is at 100, 000, 100 million, 
and it went to $50 million. Well, that's the value of it, but we're still continuing to keep getting the interest and the cash flow on it. I th- think it should certainly be noted, uh, but it's not a loss to the bank at this particular point in time. And I think that sort of stuff, along with going to a scarce um, uh, reserve system, might be corrected through the Federal Reserve. And I think it's going to stabilize a bunch of the banking stuff coming up rather than these new rules. Rules. I almost said rural in there. Uh, these, <laughs> right. Try to mix those two up at the same time. Exactly. Um, with, except with the rules that we're having right now that I think are causing a lot of volatil- volatility, if you will, inside of that regional banking system. Because if we went through the exact numbers with every single small regional bank, they're all going to be at a loss from this uh, banking mark-to-market rule that they'd have, um, at least to a certain degree. I think it would be amazing to see that what it is. But I want us to have the regional banks. I don't want to have the first U.S. Uh, bank of the United States government. Now we're putting all the purse strings along with the government strings I don't think our forefathers wanted it that way. No, not at all. As you've said before on this show, we've got uh, the local banks here, those regional banks allowed to make decisions locally. They uh, make loans against items that are fairly valued, and they keep that money and recirculate it through the economy, the interest that they make, and that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Oddly enough, um, (laughs) banks were designed to give secured loans. Weird. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. And and again, otherwise it, you're just a loan shark, aren't you? Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> I would think so. Again, seven one five eight four five two one five five is the number to call. Merle Kelch is on, and we are making financial sense. We'll have more after this. Eight twenty three on this Saturday morning. Sunny skies on our way to a high in the uh, mid seventies today. Not bad at all. Get outside and enjoy it at some point today on AM 550 FM 99.9 WSAU. Take the Brewers along with you as well. Bring your portable radio. Listen to the Brewers and the Tampa Bay Rays coming up at 235 today for pregame coverage. Uh, Merle, the Brewers have not scored a run in 21 consecutive innings now. Your solution to that is, since you've got all the solutions. Swing more. Okay. Easy enough, right? Easy enough. Yep. Easy enough. Let's take it down to the most basic common denominator. Just swing just the bat. Just swing more. Just yeah, you swing, swing more. the bat. Stop it, trying to look at every pitch. Just start swinging. <laughs> you know. We will pass the information along. Just not along. at the catcher or the umpire. Yeah, that's true. That's Those true. Don't get the catcher's interference. Uh, well, actually, do get the catcher's interference because then that gets you a free pass to first. Uh, <laughs> don't uh, injure anyone while you're at it. Just swing the bat more. That's we'll, right. We'll, we'll uh, keep that in mind. I'm going to be enjoying the day myself. Um, I will be up north at our place at the palatial estate as our Good friend Tom King used to say, feeding mosquitoes today. So okay, um, they got to eat too. They do. So I'm going to do my best. I'll be feeding them along the way. So here we go, folks. Um, we are sitting here right now. Um, article, most Americans aren't happy with how much income tax they paid this year, an article by Andrew You don't Kishner. say. Weird. Who knows? You don't say. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting about this article is, by the way, I wasn't happy with the amount of taxes I had to pay either. In fact, I'm still grumbling about that um, <laughs> right. uh, as we come along. And uh, um, what I thought was interesting, I had a little bit of a refund coming back, and the IRS says, we're going to apply it to 2017. So I didn't owe any taxes for 2017. Okay. And then they said, we're also going to apply it to uh, your joint return for your uh, your wife, Shannon, for 2017. We weren't married in 2017. So our government's really got this nailed with the IRS. So 
I get to horse around and play with those guys and figure out what's going on again. Yeah, I, I didn't know that they would uh, – they're going to go back in time and, and give you more money? Oh, no. They took it because they said I owed them money from oh, 2017, sure. which I didn't. And yep. my wife, for our joint return, well, I wasn't married to her then. So <laughs> right. this just keeps getting better and better Indeed. And better. So, Indeed. Um, anyway, what's interesting in here, though, uh, what I found is that um, though the taxes have not changed, folks, um, uh, really – um, from when President Trump left office or President Biden coming in. Um, what I thought was interesting is many people who were Republicans said they were unhappy with what's going on in taxes, and more Democrats said that they were happier with what current taxes are. And by the way, folks, nothing literally has changed. Mm-hmm. So what has changed a little bit is that with in- raises because of inflation, that type of stuff, and things that happen as a result of the pandemic with just giving people more money to be able to stay, is people jumped up in tax brackets. That's one of the main things that happened. So um, look around if you're looking at your tax and say, I was really unhappy with it. I think I paid too much. Matter of fact, six and 10 participants said uh, they paid too much in taxes that were too high based upon the Gallup, Gallup polls. So the part in here that I always want to pop out and I want to let people know along the way is you want to start planning for your taxes now for 2025. Yes, I know there's another year in the middle of there and we still haven't gotten to 23 through 23. But what's happening is a lot of the Trump era tax cuts um, are going to be falling out, including the payouts for tax credits and our standardized deductions, which are inflated. Um, uh, they're face, uh, uh, going to be fading out in 2025. So depending upon what happens with our elections, uh, we can see our taxes go up as a result of that. Now, that being the case, what do we do to start planning for it? We start looking at it and saying, well, was there a business thing I was looking at purchasing? Is there a business vehicle in which you can still do what's called a Section 179 write-off? And if you're in business, you go, oh, you're listening right now going, oh, I can still do that? Um, yes, you can. They are still viable. You still have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you start planning some of that stuff now, so you're getting a little, bit of a, uh, a little bit of a plan or some things that have depreciation for 2025 if these things do sunset, uh, which I'm going to guess they're probably going to. Um, so with it, who knew? Politics came involved and makes people's decisions happen in the middle of taxes. Even though I don't like it, taxes haven't changed from when President Trump was in office to President Biden, but people automatically think that it's worse. It's not. It's the same. I'm not defending, just observing. Mm -hmm. That should be a T-shirt. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Yeah, I think we can make some money on that. (laughs) So, uh, and I know a lot of people uh, just plug the numbers in to the TurboTax, to the H&R Block, to Tax uh, Slayer, whatever it may be. And they may not even completely realize what is happening to them on the uh, tax side of things because, as we've mentioned before, we actually have a pay-as-you-go system here. Mm -hmm. The taxes that we file every at the beginning of every year is just checking the math to make sure that our employer or ourselves withheld the correct amount and if you get money back you overpaid you pay in you underpaid either way you look at it uh that's the correction so a lot of people maybe don't even realize what happens when things get adjusted especially if it's yeah, just yeah. a little bit one way or the other yeah I've, I've said for a long time i wish that um, we had to pay quarterly taxes from our own pocket and had to write it in um, we would see things change in america in a heartbeat if that had to happen because people would realize how much tax they actually pay. So that being said, it's a conversation I have quite a bit with colleagues and friends. It's saying it surprises me on how many people they say, well, how much tax did you pay last year? They say, well, nothing. I have a refund. 
no, no, no. That, that doesn't mean <laughs> right. there's actually an amount that you pay in taxes. The refund simply means that there was too much withheld. Um, and so a lot of people think about it that way. They think, well, I don't pay anything in. I got something back. No, no, you did. And it surprises me when you have somebody who, you know, it really isn't a, a person who's making $250,000 a year, but you look at it and you're saying, well, geez, I paid eight or $9,000 in taxes. Yeah, you did. The extra money you got back was just what was withheld. And people are surprised on the amount of tax that they actually pay along the way. So if we went back to a system paying quarterly, um, uh, things would change dramatically because people would actually know how much they're paying inside of taxes. Um, it would probably also make a lot of delinquent taxpayers because they wouldn't right. have the money. They'd spend it first, which aside from my agreements or beliefs on paying income taxes um, and how that goes, um, the system is better if you're having it withheld a little bit at a time versus paying in quarterly, certainly. 715-845-2155 is the number to call if you have a question for Merle. We'll get you on the air with him next here on WSAU. But first, let's check your local and uh, national news headlines. It is 835 on this Saturday morning here on AM 550, FM 99.9 WSAU, online at WSAU.com as well. We are making financial sense with uh, Merle Kelch. And uh, Merle, of course, my job as the uh, as the news director I, you know, pay attention to the news and I got a, a news release this week from the uh, state's department of uh, financial institutions uh, regarding something we've actually talked about on this mm -hmm. show before. And that is uh, precious metals investing. And now this is something, uh, again, uh, go ahead and, and, and give your take on it. This is something that you, it, it's not overly good it's not overly bad for you but it's maybe a way to diversify a portfolio right right well it's a couple of different things go ahead and read the the uh, this is important folks i want to have mike re go ahead and read sure it. go ahead just i mean the, the first couple of sentences so people know what's going on yeah it well basically it's an alert from the uh, department of financial institutions uh regarding precious metal scams uh that have been yeah. going around a few of them have been reported here in this state before uh, scammers, you know, calling you up uh, again, using the volatility in the economy mm -hmm. to plant some fear in your mind, saying, get your money out of your 401k, exactly. invest in precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, things like that. Uh, because, well, the economy is a bit uncertain. But yeah. again, when is it not? So, so on that, folks, know that this is happening out there. So if you want to go and you want to buy precious metals, there are plenty of legitimate places you can do that. The unfortunate part, there's also plenty of illegit illegitimate places. So so in here, the, the game, in my opinion, is, now don't get me wrong, um, historically over a long period of time when you're having uncertainty inside of the marketplace and recessions, there's been two places that people would run to, um, gold and metals and precious metals as well as oil. And so, so with that, um, we've seen gold certainly go up this past year, and so um, gold isn't regulated as much as you would find in the securities industry. And so as a result of that, you can have somebody say whatever they want to. And my joke always is, if it's an English voice, it must be better. And it always <laughs> seems to be the case with the gold and precious metals. Right. So I've gotten a half a dozen calls over the course of the last few weeks saying, you know, my kids want to know if they should sell everything and run the gold because of the debt crisis. And, well, you know, um, probably not, but let me know what they're thinking. We'll chat back and forth with it. And so this always becomes an issue or a problem if somebody can um, um, dig into there. But where, where we start finding is that we start seeing clients say, we want to sell everything we got. We want to start buying gold. It's like, all right, let's talk about this. And, you know, and I'm not going to say that, you know, your investment is bad, but let's at least make sure that your investment is real. 
uh, make sure it's a bona fide entity. Is it a real source? Is it a real place? Do you sure you want to do it all? And start having a conversation. But you have to just you have to watch for yourself, folks, because there's a lot of scam artists that are out there, and they're calling you and saying that the world's falling apart. The, well, it might be, but it's not going to happen today, you know. So, um, and with this, I was sharing, folks. My mom's got the best thing. Mom's 82. And so whenever somebody calls up with this, the moms just simply says, you know what? I don't do my stuff. My son does. He works for the Marathon County Sheriff's Department. Why don't you just call him? You want his number, and they click every time. So if you want to use have all of your kids work for the Marathon County Sheriff's Department, okay. um, uh, that might, well, now the Sheriff's Department is going to get phone calls, and I'll probably be in trouble. But anyway, tell them that your, your, your son or daughter works for the police department. But, you um, know, that is a there's a lot point. of them that are out there. Yeah, because uh, there there are people, and they will be very pushy, and they will create a sense of urgency. They will say, okay, we've got limited supply, so we need a decision from exactly. you now. Can yeah. you wire us X thousand of dollars from your account uh, so we can invest it in, or can the, in you these send us a can you send us a gift card? Uh, of course. Yeah, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and don't fall for it. And talk to somebody. Be afraid of me. Talk to anybody. Talk to a family member. Talk to uh, some friends and, and see whether it's going to go. But um, So we have a Wisconsin alert that's out there, folks. And so uh, though we're not necessarily a news organization at this standpoint, I think this is some pretty important stuff uh, it, that does exist. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the big thing uh, that you want to look out for is for sure unsolicited calls. If somebody is calling you, and planting this seed in your mind and saying, okay, we've I've got the paperwork in front of me right now and we can start drafting this up as long as I get verbal confirmation from you. That's the first thing that you should look at and say, wait a minute, I'm going to go talk to my buddy, Merle Kelchin, Kelchin Associates. I'm going to talk to somebody at my bank that handles my 401k before we do this because we I want to do this right. So I'm guessing if somebody does come to you in a situation like that, You've at least got the contacts that you can set them up with somebody who is a legitimate precious metals broker. Exactly. I mean, uh, there, there are existing people that are out there that know what they're doing, and I know who they are, if that's truly the direction you want to go. Uh, what I think is kind of interesting is, as you were talking, it reminded me, folks, I had somebody who had worked for me a long time ago, and, and, and good people, and, and uh, uh, good young man. Um, his family thought, well, okay, so if he works for Merle, we just get to ask Merle questions wherever they want to. Which is fine. The humor it is is to get questions about. I got this in the mail. Is this legitimate? You know, so it's always some sort of a solicitation. Um, right. And it wasn't about you know is X Y Z a good stock or a bad stock. Well, I got this in the mail. Is this any good? Hey, they want to sell me gold. Is a legitimate company? You know, so that's what we got from it. So it's kind of humorous to me. So as you were chatting, that popped up into my head. You know, there's an article that's out there by Brett Aaron's, and uh, Brett Aaron's has popped up in a number of different instances uh, over the years, and I remember the name. The stuff always pops into my head. He's pretty analytical. So his article is, most stocks end up losing you money. What's an investor to do? And there's actually some truth to that. You know, you think about it. Um, one of the companies that have been around for years and years and years is no longer anymore. And so if you held in there and didn't eventually sell, um, uh, you get out because times change. You take a look at Kodak, for example. We all know Kodak is developing film. Well, there's really no film left. Right. Well, there still is, but there's not much. And I think Fuji does most of what's left, you know, what's left with film. So, so with it, stocks end up changing. We have to change as time goes on. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, a I shouldn't say a philosophical difference, but there's a, a difference of how you look at things. You know, for example, 
Um, I enjoy individual stocks. I personally buy individual stocks. Um, I buy individual stocks for clients. But when it comes to saying I want that $1,000 per month to show up in my checking account, we almost never do that with individual stocks. We usually do that with mutual funds because they're diversified a lot easier to flow money from that going into a checking account, a lot simpler to do. But with the individual stocks, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to make sure you continue on with the news and the information on individual stocks. Um, and, and so in here, um, they've got a whole bunch of interesting um, dynamics. And for those of you that are individual stockholders, coming into retirement, I think this would be an interesting article for you to take a look at. Um, and I'm looking at it, thinking I'm online, but it's not. It's pictures of this article. There we go. Like Now I can change it. Um, and so in here, I'm trying to find the statistics that they pop up. But anyway, um, they went through over 16,000 stocks uh, since the be. I'm sorry, 28,000 stocks uh, since the beginning of stock market time from 1926 coming out. And they found that it's just basically a handful of stocks that have actually been around and made money along the way. In fact, in here, 5% of all wealth is created in the U.S. stock market is created by just a handful of stocks. Um, and right now, the bulk of money that's being created is coming from essentially 10 stocks for the bulk of money that's created just this year. And you can pretty much pick the names if you want to because they're going to be all the big high-tech names that have sure. jumped out. And as they were going through and looking at all the stocks that are there, if we look back uh, over the course of the last number of years, we look at Apple, that's been around, but when this big money was being made from Microsoft and Exxon, um, and those companies, companies like Facebook, actually didn't even exist at that point in time yet. And we look at it, and those are the companies as of late that are being done, complete different set of stocks that made a ton of money going back into the 40s and into the 50s. So it's a continual thing that you always have to watch if you're investing inside of pure stocks. If you're investing inside of mutual funds, and I'm not making a case for mutual funds but because they each have their point, um, if you're investing inside of mutual funds, you have a mutual fund manager that's doing that job already. They're looking at it saying, okay, uh, this company, they're stinking. Uh, let's get rid of them. We're going to get something else that you know, has more viable type of a business. Warren Buffett even said, if you want to make money, uh, you look for the stuff uh, that's not going to do well um, and get rid of that first. And his classic example is if you take a look at um, companies that had um, cars, for example, when cars first came out. Um, in fact, he says uh, uh, picking the winning company is almost impossible. You get rid of the ones you know are going to stink. When cars first came out, there were hundreds of new automobile makers. Which ones were going to do the best? You had no idea. Um, but you could, you know, purposely not buy the ones that you thought were going to stink. Um, uh, you know, so that's inside of anything else we went through. We even look at the old dot-com meeting going on in 99 and 2000. There were companies all over the place, and you're looking at them, and not all of them were going to be uh, winners and, and make money. Some were going to do well. You didn't know which ones, but you see the ones that have a model and are selling it and making profit. And so whenever we have something new that starts popping out like that, Merle Kelch's number one thing I look at, I said, are they making money? I can remember back in the dot-com days, there was advertising going on in the Super Bowl with a sock. Some guys talking with a sock and had markers on the sock. And it was just say this cup stock is going to be great because they're doing all this advertising in a Super Bowl. My first response was, it's a sock. Do they make any money? <laughs> and the answer was no. You looked at the financials, everything said nil, N-I-L, which, of course, they didn't make any money. He said, I wouldn't buy that thing with a 10-foot pole. It doesn't make any money. In fact, I can remember when Facebook first came out. Oh, yeah. I said, does it make any money? And the answer was no, they didn't make any money. And then uh, much to the uh, 
um, uh, hats off to Mark Zuckerberg. He said, we need to make this make money on cell phones, not computers. And he did that, and they started making money right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it came from advertisement. And so from that, I'm like, all right, now we got something that makes money. Seems to make sense. Uh, let's go ahead. And, and by the way, this year they're up uh, some hundred and some percent this year. Diversifying well, themselves. Yeah. With uh, Meta now being the official business name mm-hmm. for that, they've got the Facebook brand. They've got the Oculus virtual reality headsets, they, Instagram, and, and, of course, their business platforms as well. There's a lot of applications out there from Meta that, you know, the average person doesn't even get to download because mm-hmm. – it's for those who are managing a business, managing reach, and things like that. So, yeah, f- being able to diversify themselves was certainly something that has made Facebook last longer than, well, well, Twitter, which apparently is not making as much money right now, even though it's uh, a platform that a lot of people choose over Facebook. Sure. Uh, so the, the bottom line inside of this article is make sure you diversify. And the last line inside of this article says, Meanwhile, if you're going to try to pick stocks, remember, the odds are stacked against you. You have to be mindful of what you're doing, of course, uh, in my words. And again, you're, it's like you're gambling. The odds are always in the house's favor because if you're hitting on that 17, chances are whatever comes up next is going to put you over 21. Exactly. <laughs> I know that from experience. He's Merle Kelch. We are making financial sense on AM 550 FM 99.9 WSAU. As always, our chat is to uh, fill for your phone calls at 715-845-2155. Before we get to Chris Conley in this day, uh, Merle, you know, we're talking about the dot-com bubble that burst. Do you remember MVP.com? I do not. Exactly. That's that was a big business failure from Michael Jordan, John Elway, Wayne Gretzky. Hmm. It was supposed to be the athletic uh, uh, sports gear and apparel warehouse. These three MVPs getting together, mm-hmm. creating MVP.com, where they sold you know basketball shoes, basketballs, football pads, all sorts of things. There you go. It's you not go. even. It didn't even make it past 2008. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, now you do. MVP, MVP.com. Look it up. Chris Conley in this day next here on WSAU. Online at WSAU.com as well. Our final segment here, uh, Making Financial Sense with uh, with Merle Kelch. Merle and, and uh, I, we had a, had a good a good laugh and a, a good uh, good chat just now about uh, Chris Conley's This Day segment. Uh, Chris writes those himself. Uh, we were trying to figure out how much the first speeding ticket may have cost back in New York City, actually. Yes. Uh, Merle, what was it you had, we had figured, was it $5? Um, it might have been, but we we're more importantly, the part we were laughing at is how do they know he was speeding? That is true. Yeah, because you're only supposed to do 12, not 12 miles an hour. But he was arrested or uh, pulled over for doing 18 on mm-hmm. a bicycle. But how do they know he's doing 18 miles an hour? Yeah, that's that's the other thing. Stopwatch were actually calculating it. Now, yeah. now that's the kind of math that Merle could do easy, lickety split like well, that. I Somebody could, but I really don't want to anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. myself as well. I definitely would not be able to uh, to do that kind of math on the spot there. But uh, a five dollar, maybe, maybe even, or, or maybe even it was like a seventy five cent speeding ticket back in the day. You got the uh, inflation adjustment there for what that would be. It'd be a lot. Today. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Double every ten years. So uh, what would that be? Yeah, a lot. A lot. Yeah. He, I, I. Well, he's. Uh, well, Merle actually started taking his shoes off uh, to start using his toes to count. Right. So I think this is where we need to move well, on. My here. toes are long, so I can uh, usually get a doubler in one toe. <laughs> you know, uh, Fox News uh, pops up and, and it pops. It has an article called "LGBT Group Removes Anheuser Busch from Best Practice." Oh man, best places to work. Uh, for not standing by Mulvaney ad. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so not necessarily that this is good or bad, but to show a direction, it seems that things would be going. Yeah, we've heard the term, and, you know, woke means broke and this kind of stuff. But Anheuser-Busch continues to keep reeling from uh, this uh, uh, spokesman, Delvaney, uh, Del, Dylan, Dylan Mulaney. Yep. Um, you know, aside from good or bad, and that's not how to do it, but what happens in here now is that not only did you get the conservative side of beer drinkers who said, well, we drink Bud Light. We don't agree with this, uh, using their power of the person, saying we're not buying this stuff. But they've now had, um, I believe it's six weeks in a row of declining sales, and it continues yes. to keep dropping. And so now on the other side of it, the uh, very entity that they were supporting and throwing support at, which is the LGBT community, now they said we don't like you anymore either because we're right. not supporting it. So now they're getting hit from both sides, which I find um, enormously interesting at this point. Yeah, and and I'm right there with you because uh, to me this is one of those uh, stories that I'll I'll read every now and then, or it'll it'll pop up in in my newsfeed, and and it's the train wreck now that you you simply can't look away from because they've managed to unite the United States of America in a time when it seems impossible to do so by having everybody on both sides of the aisle boycotting them. In fact, uh, you had Clay Travis, who is a conservative uh, talk show host, doing an example, uh, doing his own kind of case study, unofficial scientific case study, of offering people a free beer outside of a, a concert. And he had certain brands of free beer in, in these coolers. Uh, and you were able to simply pick whichever beer you wanted. At the end of the night, the Bud Light was left. So people that were walking by didn't, you know, in theory, didn't want to be seen drinking Bud Light. Sure. And I don't know if he was marketing this only to conservatives, only to liberals. doesn't matter because you had a set of people walking through there, and they didn't even want it if it was free. Sure. You know, the interesting thing about this, it kind of comes back to, you know, what do you not talk about at a table during dinner with your family? You know, politics, et cetera, et cetera. I've said a long time before— Business should stay out of politics, and so should uh, uh, movie stars. They should stay out of that stuff and do their craft and do it well. Um, and this becomes an example. And I don't think this is going to be the only example. I think we're going to find other businesses are going to end up falling into the same type of a scenario um, where you're not going to win. You're not going to win the battle. I think the only way to get through this is somebody comes through, you know, somebody stands up and says, hey, um, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. We're going to go forward like this. And, and uh, you know, we apologize, whatever the case may be. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just going to, that's the only way you're going to do it. They're not going to be able to do this as smoke and mirrors, I don't think. Um, yeah. That beer drinking part of the world that buys that product isn't going to stand for anything less, and maybe that's the only reason you're going to do it. And, uh, you know, if you're somebody like me, I would just rather buy something local that has a story to it that I can try. I'm going to like it. I don't like it. It's a pass-fail uh, grading system. You'll either buy it again or you won't because yeah. uh, in – Another free economics lesson in situations like this where you've got a new product, everybody's going to buy it once. You'll sell out the first time, guaranteed every time. 
It's a matter of will somebody buy it again a second time? How quickly is that second shipment? Uh, going to go but yeah it's purchasable becomes a thing yeah um and and but bringing this all back to the uh the investment world again which is kind of what we're in uh you know does this mean that you look at something like anheuser-busch in a bev and and say as you said earlier this you don't necessarily want the stock that's going to make money you want the stock that's not going to go down not going to lose money precisely you hit it right on the head so next week folks we are going to be doing this remote from uh the palatial estate because it is Memorial Weekend. But uh, we will be here to take your calls and to be live and answer your questions that you have. Indeed. And, uh, yes, we will be taking those calls live on the air. Uh, you will be, uh, again, what is what is the term? Mosquito feed? You'll be feeding yeah. mosquitoes? I'm feeding mosquitoes. Okay. Today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll go with that. I like the mosquito that. feed. That is pretty funny because that's essentially what it becomes and i've never thought of it that way but yes you're right that is essentially what it becomes uh again we are out of time this week for making financial sense here on wsau but uh, merle how do they get a hold of you uh during the business week folks you can stop in and visit us third avenue and bridge street here in lovely wasa wisconsin give us a call locally 715-849-3600 outside of the wasa area at 715 i'm sorry 1-800-1866 i know i have the number at 866-355-5100 or find us online at kelsonassociates.com. That's why you have the uh, lovely uh, receptionist secretary in the office That's who why handles. That's takes care of stuff. Yeah. Yes, so she takes care of stuff, including the coffee, right? Yeah, she's become my memory extender. <laughs> Inclu- but, hey, it's I'm sure it's the coffee that most people would want, uh, exactly. which uh, Merle speaks very highly of. You got your Fox News headlines coming up next and then your regular polka programming for the rest of the morning here on WSAU.